So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of us must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be that it may benefit those who listen and not and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Phil, for reading that. Morning, everybody. Happy St. Patrick's Day. We went, uh, thank you. We went all out today. Today you get an Irish redheaded green shirt wearing preacher. Um, for, uh, I just don't have an Irish accent. So. Um, it's, <laughs> um, I, I got to say something that I normally do on certain days. Uh, not today, devil. Um, we had a little bit of, uh, Phil mentioned it earlier, normally we get in this building to start setting up and brewing coffee and setting up the sound and everything at about 8 o'clock, and we got in today at 9.35. Awesome. Yeah, actually it was awesome. We stood outside and prayed together and chatted and had a lot of fun, and then we got in here and just worked hard, and everything's up and running, and the worship team did awesome, didn't they? It was great. Also, uh, really glad to have uh, some of the folks from Experience Church joining us today. Welcome to you guys. Thanks for coming and hanging out with us today. Um, and yeah, I think uh, Phil's passage that he read was, I had him read a pretty long passage, and it basically kind of says it. I don't know. It's kind of already the sermon, so I don't know what else I have to say. Um, uh, but I did prepare some notes, so I'll go ahead and say them. Um, I wanted to start with a quote that I heard. It's an amazing quote, but I first, if I'm honest, I first heard it when I was about eight years old on a DC Talk song. 
the beginning. <laughs> so those of you who grew up Christian and you listen to Christian rock, you'll probably recognize it. You might remember it, but it's an amazing quote. It says this. It's from Brennan Manning. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. <sighs> it's like, whoa. If that's the first time you've heard this quote, you might you know, feel like you just got hit by a truck because <laughs> it's, it's, it's heavy. It's a cutting quote, and whether you... Uh, agree with it or disagree with it, Brennan Manning has a point because too often there's a disconnect between what we say we believe as Christians and how we actually behave as Christians. Anyone going to admit that with me? Yeah. All right, all right. I'm not bringing fire and brimstone. We're all here in the same boat, all right? <laughs> there's a gap between what we say we believe and what we sing in our worship songs and what we read in the scriptures and then how our lives look from Monday through Saturday. And we've been going through Ephesians, and really in this chapter, uh, the, it's been showing us how to grow up, how to become mature in Christ. That was two weeks ago when we preached. It was about how are we grow up to full maturity into everything that God has called us to be. And that passage talked about growing up into unity as the whole church. And this passage is still talking about growing up, but it's talking about growing up into holiness, to being holy, to being set apart um, for God, for God's purposes. And the way it talks about that is that intersection between our, our, uh, our beliefs, our attitude, and our actions. We say around here, our head, our heart, and our hands. That's where holiness shows up, and that's where true Christianity shows up. How many know that maturity is not something that's automatic? You know that? You can, you can grow old without growing up. <laughs> yeah? Anyone? Anyone met someone? Yeah? Anyone? Maybe you feel that way. I grew up and I'm not, uh, uh, I grew old and I'm not growing up. Um, but if we claim to follow Jesus, here's what I'm getting at. If we claim to follow Jesus, but we have the same attitudes, the same mindset, and the same action as those who don't follow Jesus, do we really have anything to offer them? You guys hearing me? If we claim to follow Jesus, but you can't tell by looking at our lives, do we have anything to offer them? If Jesus called the church to be salt and light to the world, salt to enhance and bring out the best flavors and preserve against decay and light to shine into the darkness and to show us what true reality is, but we're not salty enough, I mean in a good way, <laughs> Or if we're not letting our light shine, do we really have anything different? And I believe we do. I believe we do. And this passage today speaks to that and shows us how that we can grow in that. How we can grow to walk in the way of love, as that last verse says. So as we dive right in, um, we're just going to be going right through the passage. So if you want to keep your Bible or your Bible app out, um, we're just going to go straight through it. So here we go. Really, the first point that Paul makes in this passage, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, he says this. Uh, he makes this point. If you are in Christ, there must be a difference in the way you live. There's got to be 
a difference. If your faith is in Jesus, if you are following him, it's got to show up in your life. And that's why he starts the passage off saying, you must no longer live like the Gentiles do. Does that sound a little funny? (laughs) Don't live like the Gentiles do. Gentiles is a word for everyone who's not Jewish. And here's what's ironic about this passage. He's writing it to an audience that's mostly Gentiles. And yet he says, don't live like the Gentiles, you Gentiles. Right? How can, anyone head scratching? How can he say that? He can say that because they have become something new. They haven't become Jewish, but they've become something new. They have a new identity in Christ. That's what he's talking about in chapter 2 when it says that when Jesus was on the cross, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Ephesians 2.15, out of the two, and that means Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace. He took Jews and Gentiles, groups that were hostile toward each other and didn't see themselves as belonging together, and yet he made them the church and said, you have a new identity now. You're forgiven, you're free, you're blameless, you're filled with the Spirit. You have a new identity that allows people from all different nations all over to see each other as brothers and sisters because of what Christ did. Can I get an amen? And what he's saying here is if there's been that kind of change on the inside of your life, it will show up on the outside. In many ways, the art of living like a Christian is this. Be who you are now. You you know who you were. You know how you used to live. But this is who God has made you. You have a new identity. So be that now. Does that make sense? So when he says don't live like the Gentiles, he's not just saying, hey, look down on those other people. Don't live like them. No, he's saying don't live like you used to live. Because God has changed you. And if you believe that, it'll begin to change the way you live. Amen. That's why he calls it your former way of life. So how do the Gentiles live? How do you live like a Gentile? Um, Paul is painting in broad strokes. It's just like, it's generic. He's not saying everyone lives like this. But just like there's a typical Christian life, he's saying there's a Gentile life. uh, Or a pagan life. People who don't serve the God that we serve. And he says it this way. The way he says in the passage, the passage says is futility of their thinking, darkened understanding, separated from the life of God. Just like in Ephesians 2, he says, remember, you were dead in your sins, but God made you alive in Christ. He says, separated from the life of God, ignorance of the things of God. He's not saying they're dumb. He's saying they don't know about this God. And it says that it's due to the hardening of hearts. So it's, it's not that they don't know. It's that they don't want to know. There's a w- willful resistance that makes us have a hard heart against knowing God. If, if I had to sum it up, it means thinking and living in a way that is disconnected from God. Acting as if There were no creator, and we weren't created in his image with a purpose and finding our own purpose. And because we're resisting that knowledge that God created us and loves us and has a plan and and has a mission for us, because we resist that, we become ignorant even to him and resistant against God himself. 
I know it's heavy right now, but it's not going to be heavy the whole message, all right? All right? Just stay with me, I promise. We're, we'll come back up, all right? <laughs> Thomas uh, Cranmer. Anyone ever heard of Thomas Cranmer? Um, he lived in the 1500s, so you wouldn't know him from today's uh, news. But he was one of the founders of the Anglican Church and, and one of the Protestant reformers. And um, he wrote the Book of Common Prayer, if you've ever heard of that, one of the most uh, popular books on earth. Um, that was his contribution. And uh, someone was giving an interview on the 450th anniversary of that book that he wrote, and they were kind of summing up his view of anthropology, and I think they worded it so well. It's Dr. Ashley Knoll. When they said this, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. I think I have it. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. And see, that, that's what he's saying. This is the this is my understanding of the human condition. And you know what's counterintuitive about that is we like to think, hey, we're rational beings. We look at all the facts and then we make our decisions. But when we do that, we're actually kind of ignoring the fact that there are other desires at play in our body besides just our brain. We're not just brains on a stick. Anyone, <laughs> anyone know that? We, we have a body. We have desires. We have a heart. The rest of that quote, I think it continues on, says this, the mind doesn't direct the will. The mind is actually captive to what the will wants. And the will itself, in turn, is captive to what the heart wants. And then he really gets to it right here. The trouble with human nature is that we are born with a heart that loves ourselves over and above everything else in this world, including God. In short, we are born slaves to the lust for self-gratification. That's why, if left to ourselves, we will always love those things that make us feel good about ourselves, even as we depart more and more from God and His ways. Therefore, God must intervene in our lives in order to bring salvation. What he's saying is this. If our heart loves if what our heart loves most is anything other than the God who created us, our heart will lead us astray, down a destructive path. And the worst part is the whole time it will make sense to us. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies, makes sense of it. That's why Proverbs 14, 12, thousands of years ago said this, there is a way that appears to be right, but the end of it is death. In the end, it leads to death. So in short, what does it mean to live like a Gentile? It means to live in the futility of thinking that this whole life and our purpose is found and our happiness is found outside of God. It means to live for me, 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 me. Mm, what pleases me, what I want, what's going to make me feel better. It means to live for what pleases me without regard to what pleases God. It means to to. Live for what pleases me without regard to the damage I might actually be doing to my soul. To live for what pleases me or makes me happy without regard to the damage it might be doing to other people. That's what it means. And that's what he's saying. Don't live like that anymore. Don't live like you used to live, your former way of life. And all of it culminates in verse 19 where he says this. When, when it gets that bad, this is where it goes. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full 
of greed. What the Bible says is that if we are committed, if our hearts are hardened against God and his ways, not only does it shut off the way we think, and we, we, we have futile thinking, which just means purposelessness or meaninglessness or vanity, not only does that happen, what happens in our lives is we get insensitive. The way the ESV says it is we get calloused. The way the message says it is we having lost all feeling. It's like this. We can't even tell what damage we're doing. I have a cast iron skillet at home. Anyone, everyone knows what that is? Yeah. I love cooking with the cast iron skillet. And something happens to me that I think has happened to a lot of people who have those is you just get used to holding it or whatever, but then you cook with it in the oven because it can go to whatever temperature. <laughs> and uh, then you go to get it out of the oven and you just grab it without like an oven thing or, <laughs> or you, leave it on the, you leave it on the stove too long and you forget that the handle's going to be hot and it's like, right? And you're like, thank you, God, for reflexes. Thank you, Lord, that I have nerves that I can let go and not be damaged too bad. But imagine this cow, this, the image is like, I have cows so much I don't even feel. I just grab it and hold on and don't even feel the damage that I'm doing. The picture he's saying, scripture says that it shows up in ways that we become so used to the sin that we don't sense how it wounds our own souls and how it wounds our relationships with others. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. And this passage really gives us a, a counterintuitive truth that even if you run after what pleases you, ironically, instead of feeling more pleasure, you feel less. If anyone knows about addiction, that's how it works. You get that high, you want that feeling of pleasure, so you go for more of it, but you feel it less, and so you have to do it more. And the scripture says it shows up in sensuality, impurity, and greed. The image that this scripture gives us is sexual sin, sexual obsession. And in many ways, the same thing can be said of our culture. Human heart and human nature hasn't really changed much. I want to give you a, a current day example of this in our culture, um, and, and I, think it, I think, is it safe to say that our culture is pretty obsessed with sex? Yeah. yeah? Okay, good. I got half of you on board with me. All right. No, I think an example in our culture is the porn industry and the industry that Gabe was talking about today, but I looked up some stats on it. In 2006, estimated revenues for sex-related entertainment businesses were just under $13 billion in the U.S. Here's for comparison. You want to know how much money the NFL made in 2017, so two years ago? All 32 teams generated revenue of $13.6 billion. So it took 11 years to catch up. <laughs> One in five mobile searches are for porn. Three, over $3,075 is spent on porn every second. 88% of scenes in porn films contain acts of physical aggression, and 49% contain acts of verbal aggression. And here's what I'm getting at. Only 31% of young adults aged 18 to 24 believe porn is bad for society. Less than one out of every three. And teens and young adults surveyed ages 13 to 24 believe that not recycling is worse than viewing pornography. 
I love the environment. I recycle all day. (laughs) But I think we might be off base here. And I think it's an image of we're doing damage to ourselves and to our souls and to our society. And yet, what the heart loves, the will chooses, the mind justifies until we're calloused and insensitive. But it's not just things like that that might seem obvious. You might say, okay, of course, yeah, we know. But it's other uh, non-obvious things. You realize in this passage, it's not the only thing it lists. It lists greed. You guys know that? You know what's tricky about greed? Um, I'm just being real with y'all. Is that all right? We good? We all real here today? All right? Um, Here's what's tricky about greed. I've been in pastoral ministry almost 12 years and many people have shared struggles with me and, and, and even just confessed sins and, hey, I'm struggling with this. No one's ever confessed, hey, I'm, I think I'm greedy. <laughs> Isn't that kind of funny? I've heard other pastors say that they've been in ministry for 40 years. And they said, no one's ever, like, come to my office. Well, we don't, I don't even have an office. But they would come to my office and say, hey, I think I'm greedy. I don't know. And you know why? Because we can't, it's hard to tell. It's hard for us to see because we think other people are greedy, Right? Just anyone who's richer than me, they're greedy, (laughs) right? But it's harder for us to see greed in our own hearts. And it's easy for us to justify what the heart loves, the will chooses, the mind justifies. How else do we do it? It's not just, it's not even just bad things. It can be good things too. It can be relationships. It can be success, not a bad thing. It can be achievements, not a bad thing. It can be approval of other people who are important to you. That's not a bad thing. But when we turn those good things into God things, it becomes futile thinking. It's empty. It's vanity. Ecclesiastes 4.4 says this, And I saw that all toil and achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I love Ecclesiastes because like every other verse, it's like everything's meaningless. (laughs) The way the passage says it is we follow after deceitful desires, desires that promise us joy but deliver pain. But in the middle of this dark picture of how our hearts look without God, the Apostle Paul reminds us of this. That's not how you were called to live. That's not how you and I were called to live. Amen? Amen. And the way he says it is this in verse 20. It says, But that is not the way you learned Christ. Exclamation point. (laughs) That is not the way you learned Christ. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to live in futility. You have a bigger purpose. Amen? When you believe in Jesus, you're called out of your old way of life into a new way of life. But it's not just a new way of life. It's not just a new code of conduct. It's not just new rules that you live by. And we see it in that passage because he doesn't say you learned a new way of life. He says you learned Christ. You learned Jesus. That as Christians, what we are following is not just a new rule book. We're following a person. Amen? We're, and we're following the truth that he taught. And we're, and we're following him because he embodied that truth. And because he has saved us by that truth. And because we're called to follow Jesus, we're called to be holy. To be holy is to be more like Jesus. 
think sometimes we kind of give that word holy, like, oh, who can be holy? It's kind of like a magical thing. Oh, he's a very holy person. But no, holy just means to be set apart for the purposes of God. It means there are going to be some things that are different in my life because I'm dedicated for God's purpose, not just for my own purposes. Amen? Jesus said the church is to be salt and light in the world. Salt enhances. It brings out the best. In order to do those things, to be salt and light, there has to be a difference in our lives. Instead of insensitive, we're called to be kind. Instead of calloused, we're called to be compassionate. The passage says, and tenderhearted. Instead of serving ourselves, we're called to serve God and others. Not self-centered, but self-giving. Not called to the love of self, but called to the love of others. From the old way of life to the new way of love. And it's a beautiful life that we've been called to. But how do we grow in it? It's not like we can just kind of close our eyes and say, I want to be more holy. (laughs) And then open, and then we're just more holy. Yeah, we click our heels three times. There's no place like holiness. Um, how do we move in that direction? Because it's not something that happens overnight, and it's not something that happens by accident. But the passage paints a picture uh, for us of an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process that we're called to. Let me just read from verse 22. It says this, You were taught with regard to your former way of life, Watch this. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. (laughs) Do you guys see that process? You're called to put off something, to be made new, and to put on something. We all together? Good? All right. It's a process that we're called to, and it's two things that we can do, and it's one thing that we have to let be done to us. And that's where we're going to go the rest of the message, as long as y'all are good and with me. (laughs) All right, cool. Sorry. Let's do the first two things that we can do in this process of becoming more holy for God's purposes. It calls us to put off something and to put on something. And the verbs that are used here in the, in the scriptures, it's verbs, they're verbs that were commonly used for clothes. And so Paul is giving us this imagery of you're going to take off a garment, you're going to be made new, and then you're going to put on a new garment. You're going to take off the old clothes that it says are corrupt, like rotten, like putrid, like dirty. <laughs> and, and that's your old self. That's your deceitful desires. And you're going to put on a new, uh, new, new clothes, a new self that's created to be like God. But unlike clothes, so it's just as easy as taking off and putting on. But unlike clothes, it's not just saying it's as easy as clothes. It's yourself. (laughs) That's like your identity, the very core of who you are. It's, It's a way of life. It's a code of conduct, but it goes beyond that. It's the way you think. It's the affections you have. It's the way you feel and he's saying, take off those, your old self and those old desires that promise you joy and promise to please you, but leave you wanting more and leave you in pain. Take that off. Be made new in the spirit and put on the new self. I used to work, a lot of you guys know this, I used to work for a recycling company. 
and uh, a few of you did as well. Mike, <laughs> Zach, others looking at you. Um, and we had a recycling center downtown right next to the police station, and we would move. I mean, we would, you know, take recyclables and give people cash, like, all day. And we moved that stuff physically. You're talking, like, broken bottles of glass and aluminum and plastic and soda bottles and all that stuff. And um, I hope you don't have to smell what, <laughs> what that lot would smell like in the middle of July or, like, September even. I guess it's hotter here in September. Yeah, just like all the soda and the beer and the alcohol and the... Are you there with me? Okay. And then you can imagine if you're around that stuff all day, you come home and your clothes, they just look great and shining and (laughs) spotless, right? No, they're just like covered and like smelly. And I had had these uh, old Doc Martin boots and, and I would get like bits of glass in my boots on top of... I would, I would have like shards of glass in my pants and, and, and my shirt and it'd be all stained and everything. And so if, just imagine with me, if I went home and then I had to go like to a party, I, I had planned to go to a party. Um, there's a couple things I need to do before I go to the party, right? <laughs> I'm not going to go in those clothes, right? I'm going to take those clothes off. I'm going to be, I'm going to take a shower and then I'm going to put on new nice clothes, Right? It would be really weird if I just put on new nice clothes for the party on top of my recycling clothes. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be smelly. It'd be glassy. It'd be bad news. I'd go to hug someone and like they get cut or I don't know. It would also be really weird if, if um, you know, if I'm like, hey, I got to go to this party and these clothes are too dirty and I just took off the dirty clothes and went to the party. <laughs> it also would probably be illegal. Um, you need, yeah, it is weird. I'm going somewhere with this. Trust me. <laughs> just like you need both, it's a problem if you just focus on one. But many times in Christianity, we just focus on one or the other. We got groups that just want to focus on putting off the old self, that just want to focus on the don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't drink. Don't dance. Don't wear this. Don't go there. Don't, 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 don't. Focus on the negatives. And, and I'm not, a lot of those things are good guidelines, but the, the problem on that side, if you just focus on the don'ts, you can be known for what you're against, and no one knows what you're for. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know you loved Jesus. I just know you didn't do this stuff, yeah. right? But then on the other side, we can, we, we can have groups that just want to focus on the new identity and putting, oh, this is such good news, this grace, this grace, this new identity that we have, but they don't, they neglect to put off the old ways. They neglect that Jesus called us to repent. And, and I get it. You, you want to be eager to draw people. You, you don't want to be well, you don't want to be judgmental, but we minimize or ignore the call of Jesus, repent and believe the good news. Jesus said both. That, that was the summary of his message in Mark 1.15. Repent and believe the good news. Both are important. Both are necessary to follow Christ. You can't have one without the other. Some are living as though Jesus is Lord but not Savior. He can tell you the rules, but it's up to you to obey and save yourself. And if you see Jesus that way, 
he's more like a cop that's just waiting on you to mess up so he can pull you over and throw the book at you. And maybe you think if you do what he says, then he'll have to bless you. That's not the gospel. And then on the other side, some are living as though Jesus is your Savior, but not your Lord. He can save you. He can, he can give us a new identity. He can bring about redemptive change. But he can't tell you what to do in your personal life. He can't. Am I tracking? If that's how you see Jesus, that's a buddy. That's not the Lord of the universe. That's not the Jesus that the Bible introduces us to. In both cases on either side, your God is too small. He's, he's Savior and Lord. He must be both to you or in the end, he, he'll be neither to you. If you reject him as Savior or if you reject him as Lord, you are missing out. We've got to put off the old and put on the new. And so scripture gives us these concrete, practical examples of what this looks like. Verses 25 through 32, I love it because he just says, hey, here's, here's some ways it looks. Verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. You guys see that? Something we put off and something we put on. Can you imagine if we put away the lies, if we put away, the, if we didn't share articles that we knew were fake or inciting stuff, if we didn't uh, speak behind each other's back and we just spoke truthfully to each other? What kind of community would that look like? Next verse, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. The pastor says you got to choose between, you can't choose whether or not you're going to get angry. Anyone know that? That's going to happen. You're going to get angry, but you can choose whether to have righteous anger or unrighteous anger. You can choose whether or not to uh, just stoke up the embers until it makes a fire in your heart and you give the devil a foothold in your life. Anyone with me? That kind of anger destroys community, destroys the church. And yet, we're told, don't do that. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. I heard a whole sermon on this verse once. Just the beautiful picture, though, of going from stealing with your hands to working with your hands to giving into other people's hands because they have need. And I know... I don't think anyone here like steals to make a living, but there's, there's more than just one way to steal. There, there's, there's ways to steal from your employer if you're working short hours or if you're getting on the clock for time you're not working. There's ways employers can steal from employees if you're not honoring them and paying them a good wage and taking care of them. What he's saying is we got to put a way of thinking only for ourselves. And we've got to do what we can with what God has given us so that we can give to other people. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Did you know that when you say hurtful words to someone especially to a brother or sister, you have not only the potential of hurting them, but of hurting the Holy Spirit who lives in them. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, but use your 
Words, I always kick this over. Use your words to build other people up so that they may benefit from what you have to say. Use your words at work to build people up. Use your words at school to build people up. As Christians, we ought to be the people that, that, that others look to and say, I need to be encouraged. I know who to go to. Amen? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, and do what instead? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Instead of holding on to anger, instead of seeking revenge, instead of wanting to get payback, we need to be as ready to forgive other people as God has forgiven us. Amen? You guys see how beautiful this picture is? You see how beneficial this could be if a group of people were living like this more and more, increasing in this way constantly? Isn't it gracious that God would call us to stop living for ourselves? <laughs> to stop living futile lives? To stop being insensitive or calloused or justifying the things that we want? even though they hurt other people. That's what he's called us to. And the scripture is calling us to this process of saying, here, here's some things that you can do. Even if you don't feel like it, you can choose to put this off just like an old garment. That's the old self that was crucified with Christ. You have a new self. Live like it's true. But I want to get to the last one as we're closing with this last point. There's two things you can do, and there's one thing you have to let be done to you. Because it's only part of the process. If we stop where we are right now, we just have a longer to-do list. Anyone keep to-do lists? Yeah, it just got longer. <laughs> Unless we cover this other part. Between putting off and putting on, there's that phrase. It says, be made new in the attitude of your minds. ESV translation says this, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And what's interesting about that is the others are active. They're things that you do, but this is a passive verb. So it's you let, it, let this be done to you. It's something that you can't do on your own, but it's something that you can partner with and allow in your life. We can't make ourselves a new creation in Christ. Amen? Can't save ourselves. But the scripture says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What we can do is allow the Holy Spirit to renew us. Allow the Holy Spirit to remind us of this truth of who he is, of how he's called us to live. And that's why there's, an, there's this process of ongoing renewal in the Christian life. Instead of being uh, constantly given over to futile thinking, we're called to be renewed in our spirits, renewed in our minds, renewed in the way that we think. How do we do that? The last verses of our passage give us a clue into this. It says, follow God's example as dearly loved children. ESV says, be imitators of God. You never heard that phrase? It's one of the few times we're just like, hey, just copy God. <laughs> But I love the way the message puts it. It says this. 
Watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Aren't kids watching their parents all the time? <laughs> parents, <laughs> aren't you sometimes like disturbed by that? <laughs> you ever been embarrassed in public because of something your kid said? You're like, oh, I don't know where they learned that. I don't know where they got that from. No, but they're watching. They're watching all the time. You know that? You don't have to tell them to watch you to learn things. That's how, that's how we naturally do it. When we're kids, we look to our parents. We look to whoever's taking care of us. We look to them naturally, and that's how we learn to talk, and that's how we learn to walk, and that's how we learn how to behave. And what this passage so beautifully says is, watch God. Watch God. And that's the more you watch him, you'll learn to talk like him. You'll learn to walk like him. You'll learn to behave like him. You'll learn to love like him. It's not just a way of life. It's not just a code of conduct. Christianity is not just a set, a list of do's and don'ts and rules. It's a way of love. I love he says that. Mostly what God does is love you. (laughs) So true. Where do we see that most? This passage tells us with the last verse, it's in the life and the love of Jesus. Verse 2 says this, And walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's not a selfish life that Jesus shows us. It's the way of love. It's the way of true love. It's the love on which the entire universe is built and around which It revolves, and it would be futile to ignore that or to try to live in any other way. If you want to know what love is like, look at Jesus. Look at the cross, like this passage says. It's not selfish. Jesus didn't love you to get something from you, but he loved you in a way that gave everything up for you. The one who had all glory was robed in majesty. That was his clothes, as it were. Put off his glory temporarily to enter our world that's full of sin and full of futile thinking and living and full of hard hearts like mine. And he put off the glory he deserved. And on the cross, he was stripped naked and humiliated. And he put on our sin and shame. He was robed in humiliation and shame. So you and I could be wrapped in honor and in the loving arms of your father. He did this all so that we could put off the old life and put on the new life and be renewed every day from now until eternity with him. And if you want to be made new, if you want to continually grow in that, look at this love. If you want to live a life of love, dwell on this love of Jesus. Meditate on it. Pray it every day. Read it in God's word. Let it shape your life. Let it shape your heart, your will, your thinking. And you'll have a new heart that loves God and a will that chooses him and a mind that is being renewed. You'll no longer live like you used to, but you'll walk in the way of love. You'll live like you're meant to. I want to close with prayer. If you would um, bow your heads with me.
And as we, uh, before I pray, I just want to say, I don't know where you are in this, but I want to extend an invitation to you, whatever that next step is that God is calling you to do. Maybe you're sitting here and the Holy Spirit has brought conviction and there's something in your life that you're holding on to that the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, take that off. Put that away. That's not how you're called to live. I've got so much more for you. And that's your next step today, to, to step out in faith and to trust God. Or maybe you're here today and you need to be reminded you have a new identity in Christ. You are loved. You are cherished. You are valuable. You are priceless. You are the apple of God's eye. He loves you so much. Put that identity on. Maybe that's it for you. Maybe you're here today and you're grieved for other people in your life to know about Jesus. This is the way that people see Jesus. When we grow in this process of putting off and being made new and putting on and living in the way that he's called us to live. I'm going to pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your presence today. Holy Spirit, we, we acknowledge that you are here. You're in our midst. You're here to apply the truth to our hearts, Lord. I humbly ask that you would use these words, but also go beyond these words, Lord. The true work that needs to be done in our lives is not something that I can do. It's not something that preaching can do. It's only something that you can do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray that as we worship, as we repent, as we believe, as we reach out to you, God, that you would truly do amazing work in our lives. How beautiful it is that you've called us to this. We thank you so much. We invite you into this place. God, I pray if there's anyone here who has not yet believed in you and, and there's faith rising, I just pray that you would guide them even in this moment to place their faith in you, to turn from sin, to turn from living for themselves, to turn from past mistakes, and, and to believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for their sins and rose again on the third day. Lord, we invite you to move in a special way here today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.